Our topic today, our, our subject, or our title is A Boy Named Lucky. So let's bow our heads. Father, what a privilege it is to stand before the Reaching Heart Seventh-day Adventist Church and many people who are watching online right now. We want to ask God in the next few moments that I would uh, draw our attention to you, Jesus, and challenge us in regard to the younger generation as we are living at the end of time and we need the innovation and energy of our youth. So Lord, give me wisdom right now in the next few moments. Thank you for our pastor. Thank you for your presence that's already here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Boy named Lucky. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 20. In there, it's a very, a very interesting, uh, ironic little passage in Acts chapter 20. Uh, it was just, this passage was read for us a little while ago, so I won't go into the whole thing, but basically, Paul has been preaching for a long, long time. He's preaching since early afternoon till midnight. And then if that wasn't enough, he went from midnight to dawn. That's another reason why we appreciate our pastor, amen? He doesn't preach that long, amen? So here, it's a very interesting passage here. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20, verse 9, And in the window sat a certain young man named what? Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. Now, if you're not careful, you're going to miss the boy's name, because this is extremely ironic. The boy's name in Greek is Eutychus, but in English, the word is lucky. Or fortunate. I don't know if you catch the irony, the boy named Lucky falls three stories to his death. That doesn't seem very lucky, does it? In fact, it reminds me of uh, uh, many years ago, there was an advertisement in a newspaper. It was advertising a dog uh, that was missing. And notice what it said, lost dog, brown fur, some missing due to disease, blind in one eye, deaf, lame leg due to recent traffic accident, slightly arthritic, and goes by the name of Lucky. Pretty ironic there, huh? He's got a great name, but his life doesn't line up with that. And the same with our story with Eutychus. Eutychus was named, basically means lucky, but he wasn't all that lucky, as we can see here. So I'm having a little trouble with my clicker here, and I think it just kind of died on me, so I'm going to probably need some help up front on the front there, I guess. There we go. But I want to share with you three reasons why this young man was not actually very, was not very unlucky. He was actually very lucky. He's actually living up to his name. Three reasons that the boy named Lucky, who had this tragic incident, was actually very lucky. The first thing is that he was able to hear the gospel before he died. I want you to think about that for a minute. There are many people who will die and go to a Christless grave around the world having never heard the gospel. But this young boy had heard the Apostle Paul, just like each of us here in this church have heard Pastor Mike preaching the gospel every single Sabbath. Do we realize how lucky we are? Amen? He was very lucky. We understand right now in the 1040 window between North Africa and Asia, 90%, how many? 90% of the population living in the 1040 window has never heard the gospel of Jesus. Which is why the general conference and the divisions around the world have made the 1040 window a target area for the next five years. We've got to preach the message. These people deserve to be lucky as well. Can you say amen? The second reason he stands out is this boy, Eutychus, 
was very lucky because he experienced the resurrection of Jesus. How many other people get to experience being resurrected? You remember the, the story tells us that Paul, the preacher that day, ran downstairs, wrapped his arms around the boy, and the life came back in him and he was alive. He was resurrected. You know, the one who wrote this was Dr. Luke, and Dr. Luke just got done telling us in the passage, the boy is dead. So this is an actual resurrection. Now, I've only seen this happen once in my life. Many years ago, I was preaching a sermon, and a lady in the church service actually died. That's not a compliment to your preaching, when people are dying while you're preaching. But we didn't know what to do except to cry out to God. And by the way, we don't serve a dead God, we serve a risen God. Stop living like he's dead. We began to pray and began to sing, and I'm here to tell you today, I've seen this happen in my life. Life came back into that woman and she rose right back from the dead, right there in the church service. Can you say amen? And this young boy actually experienced a resurrection experience. The living Lord came through the, the power of pa the Paul, reaching his arms around the young man, and he came back to life. He's a very fortunate young man to experience a second chance. Can you say amen? But you know, in a spiritual realm, every single one of us here in this room can experience a spiritual resurrection. Do you know there are many Christians who believe in Jesus, but they've never been converted. They've never experienced the resurrection life of Jesus. Their witnessing is flat, and their power over sin, they don't have it. But we can be resurrected from the dead. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 20, that we can have a resurrection experience. We can experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But there are many Christians who have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This young man was lucky to experience resurrection. The third thing that makes this young man lucky is that he was deeply loved and proactively pursued by his church. Can you say amen? We have many young people today that drop out of church, but nobody goes after them. Oh, you remember so-and-so, he used to come. Remember all those kids that we used to have in our church? But nobody goes after them. They've fallen out of the window, but nobody goes looking for them. This young man was extremely lucky because not only did Apostle Paul go after him, but all the members stopped the church service, they left the 99, and they went after the one missing sheep. I mean, it's an amazing story. That doesn't happen every day. But here in this church it did, and this young boy was extremely lucky. Eutychus was living up to his name. Let's go to the next slide. But here's the billion dollar question, and I need to ask you this because it's screaming at us from this passage. Here's my question for you. Why did they wait until the boy fell out of the window before they noticed him? That's a question that we all need to ask. You'll notice that Paul didn't notice he was about ready to fall out. The people didn't notice he was about ready to fall out. His parents didn't realize he was about ready to fall out. Nobody noticed the young boy was ready to fall, even though if you look at this passage, it says he was showing all kinds of signs. You know, we always talk about, let me look at this statistic here. Look at this next slide here real quickly for us. It says, today nearly two-thirds of all young adults who are once regular churchgoers have dropped out at one time or another. That's 64% according to a Barna book, Faith for Exiles, page 15. So we know that over 60% of young people leave the church and do not come back, but why don't we talk about the 40 that are staying in the church? Why aren't we reaching out to them before they fall out? Why do they have to fall out before we begin to talk? Oh no, the kids are leaving. No, no, we have them now. What are we doing to reach them? Are we watching the signs? Nobody was noticing that he was sitting on the edge, ready to fall out. Nobody noticed that he was about ready to fall asleep. They weren't paying attention to the ones that they have. 
And this is what I want to challenge you with. Let's go to the next slide here together. You know, the Bible says in Malachi 4, 5 to 6 that God will raise up leaders in the last days who will care about young people. These will be leaders sitting in the congregation here at Reaching Hearts that will look around and say, hey, we need to go after the young people who have fallen out. And oh, by the way, we need to work with the ones that are here. The Bible says in the last days, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. God will raise up a generation of Elijahs in the last days who will care about the younger generation. Amen? God is calling for a generation to care about the Eutychuses that are sitting there ready to fall out and the Eutychus that have fallen out. So I want to talk a little bit with you in the next slide here. I want to talk to you about what we can do about it. Okay, so we see the problem. We see a situation here, this boy. What can we do? Well, the first thing we can do is we can talk less. Can you say amen? We do a lot of talking in the church, don't we? We have congresses and youth rallies and camperies and all these wonderful things, and they're very, very important. And we tend to judge our success by how many young people we have seated in our congregations to hear us. But notice here, this young man was falling asleep, and look at this, and in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep, and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. You know, there are no details in the Bible that are not significant. I believe that with all my heart. There's something we can learn from this. Now notice, I'm not saying that we should not speak to young people. Can you say amen? We must preach, we must teach. This is very, very important, and it's biblical. But the problem is we're not doing any listening. I want to share with you the next slide really quickly, something that I've learned, noticed in Sabbath schools around the world, is that Sabbath schools have become monologues. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. They become lectures. So young people come to Sabbath schools, and even adults come to Sabbath schools, instead of giving them an opportunity to share and to talk, they end up having to hear a monologue, which they're going to hear at 11 o'clock anyway, but now they have to hear it twice. What's desperately needed in our local churches today around the world is an opportunity for young people to talk, to be able to share their concerns in a safe place where they'll be listened to and cared for. You know, I want to say this to Sabbath school teachers, and, I have, and I, I've been a Sabbath school teacher as well. Here's what we need to remember. We need to remember this. If you're talking, you're learning. If they're talking, they're learning. The question you have to ask yourself as a Sabbath school teacher is, who do you want to learn this Sabbath? Young people grow by sharing. They get excited by sharing. People get excited by sharing. Some of the greatest Sabbath school teachers in our church are facilitators. What does that mean? They spend just as much time crafting the right questions as they do studying the lesson. So they know how to draw people out and listen so that they can share. We need a church that we need to be able to listen to the younger generation. They have much to say in our world today. We must talk less. And again, we must talk as well, but we must talk less in order to listen to the younger generation. By the way, as my wife pointed out in the children's story, our young people are going through some crazy stuff right now. Can you say amen? The devil has us isolated and the devil has us divided around this world. You know what that tells me? That tells me his kingdom is about ready to fall and Christ is about ready to come. But our young people need a place to be able to talk about their fears and their worries and their concerns. I don't care whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're brown, whether you're Asian, whatever it is, young people got to talk. And we need Sabbath schools and places where they can go and small groups. Praise God, Scott, for what you were sharing today about small groups. Another opportunity to listen. Don't turn them into sermons. 
Give people a chance to listen. Yes, share some thoughts, share some ideas, but craft questions so people can talk. We need to talk less, listen more. That's how you reach the younger generation. And the Bible is screaming this at us right here in this passage that we, we tend to read by very quickly. Second thing we can do, let's go, is we must love more. Amen? We really need to love more. You say, I love young people. Okay, love more. I love the younger generation. Good. Love more. You can always love more. Amen? Listen to what Paul did. But Paul went down. Read it with me. But Paul went down. But Paul went down. But Paul went down, fell on him, and embraced him and said, do not trouble yourself, for his life is still in him. You know, Paul got down with the young people, reached down, got down off the podium. Amen? And embraced the young person. This reminds me of Elijah. Elijah did that as well when the, uh, remember the story of the woman whose son had died? Remember he took the young boy and brought him upstairs and lay himself over the body three times and prayed for him and the boy came back to life. You want to know a formula for youth ministry? Let me give you a formula for successful youth ministry. If you want a mathematical equation for successful youth ministry that will work 90.9.9% of the time, here it is. Prayer plus proximity equals youth revival. Praying for young people, getting up close to young people, listening to their cares and, and ministering to their needs will lead to a revival in a young person's life. That's exactly what the Bible actually says. When Elijah stretched himself, he cried out to God, got up close to the boy, cried out to God for the boy, and the Bible says his life revived. Youth revival. Proximity plus prayer equals youth revival right there. Paul understood this, and he reached down, he loved more. Next slide. You know, Ellen White has some incredible things. You know, I believe Ellen White was probably one of the greatest youth pastors of all times. She's got some of the greatest advice for dealing with young people, for working with young people. Listen to what she writes here. And let's read this together, okay? And as I read it, just switch slides because it's a, a few slides for this. One, two, three, go. Let's read it. The youth are objects of Satan's special attacks. The devil's the one pushing them out of the windows. The youth are the objects of Satan's special attacks. Help me out. But kindness, courtesy, and sympathy, which flows from the heart filled with love to Jesus, will gain their confidence and save them from many a snare of the enemy. I thought it was supposed to be young people would be respectful of adults. Well, that's true. Young people, we need to be respectful of our adults, but it works both ways. Can you say amen? Look at that. There must be more study given to the problem of how to deal with youth. There must be more earnest prayer for the wisdom that is needed in dealing with minds. We should seek to enter into the feelings of the youth. That's listening right there. Sympathizing with them in their joys and sorrows, their conflicts and victories. We must meet them where they are if we would keep them. Let us remember the claim of God upon us to make the path to heaven bright and attractive. Amen? See, when young people see you coming, they should get excited, amen? Not be trying to run for the doors, right? They need to know that we care about them. So we got to love them more. Talk less, love more. Say it. Excellent. Amen. Amen. Good job. You know, um, they did a, a study recently of Seventh-day Adventist churches. And they studied Seventh-day Adventist churches that were losing young people and Seventh-day Adventist churches that were keeping and actually growing younger. Do you know they came up with two words as, as the, the most important factor in churches that either keep young people or lose young people? And here it was. Inter, everybody say it, intergenerational relationships. 
Now, I gotta tell you right now, intergenerational relationships are happening in every single church. I don't care who it is. Every single church, intergenerational relationships are happening. But the question is, are they positive or negative, amen? If they're positive, young people tend to fall in love with their church. Even if they go away for a time, they come back. They feel warm about their church. They wanna be a part of their church if the relationships are good. Some of you right now thinking right now, well, Pastor Gary, I'm a millennial. Those older generation, now I'll tell you what, they need to have a better relationship with me. If they had a better relationship with me, I could stay in the church. No, no, no. If you're a millennial, you have a responsibility to care intergenerationally with the, with the uh, Generation Z. Those young people born after 1996. You see, we're all an older generation, amen? Millennials, you're in the older generation now. You're the 40-year-olds and under. You are now the older generation. You must build positive intergenerationship relationships with the young people who are Generation Z now. And don't sit on your haunches, Generation Z, born after 1997. If you are from Generation Z, you are now the older generation as well. It's now your job to reach out to Alpha Generation who's coming through the ranks. We must have positive intergenerational relationships. We must talk less and we must what? Love more, intergenerational relationships. There's a great resource out now that you can get. It's free at youth.avenist.org. It's called Intergenerational Churches of Refuge. And this, this was built off of that, that uh, scientific research. And this, re this resource right here can help leaders in local churches, deacons and elders and pastors and parents and people that care about young people. It can help you learn how to create an atmosphere that will attract young people to the church and keep them in the church. It's very powerful. A lot of people don't know about this resource. It's free. You can download it for free at where? Youth.avenist.org. There is some shameless advertisement for you. Next slide. The third thing we must do, the third and final thing is we must help send them. Okay? You know, um, one of the things that I love about young people is they were not designed to play it safe. Our young people were not designed to sit up, pay up, and shut up. Can you say amen? See, oftentimes we judge our success in youth ministry on how many young people we have seated in our auditorium. Instead, we need to be judging our success of our young people, not by only how many young people we have seated, but how many young people we're sending in mission. By the way, people freak out. Oh, young people are leaving the church. Well, guess what? That's what young people do. They grow up and they move. They, they're going to go. The question is, are you sending them with purpose? Are you equipping them to stand against the enemy? Are you making them resilient? And are you sending them? Because they're going to go. It's not your seating capacity reaching hearts. It's also your sending capacity when it comes to young people. We've got to help send them. Notice what the Bible says. And in the window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was just sitting there. You know, there's no, you know, I said it before, I'll say it again. There's no unnecessary details in the Bible. This young man fell asleep because all, all the church was requiring of him is to sit up, pay up, and shut up. They weren't sending him. He wasn't given a seat at the table. By the way, it's very interesting not a single person came up to this young man and said, hey, let me help you find a seat. He was sitting on the edge, ready to fall off, and not one person saw him and brought him, gave him a seat at the table, gave him an opportunity to be a part of the church, to be a part of the ministry of the church. They didn't send him at all. He just sat there all by himself. There's no insignificant details in the Bible, especially in this story here. He was falling asleep because he wasn't being engaged. He wasn't being sent. He wasn't being empowered to be a part of God's mission in the church. All right, next slide. 
You know, uh, let's go to the next slide. We just covered that already. Very good. Okay. You know, I, I love this verse right here in Psalms 127, verse 4. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are children born in one's youth. Isn't it interesting that young people are described as arrows? <laughs> they were designed to be sent. Amen? But not only sent, they were, being able to, they, were, they were designed to be sent by warriors, not by sportsmen. You know, a lot of people think, leaders in the church today think that young people are for sport. Let's just try to entertain them. Don't get me wrong, it's okay to have fun and entertainment. I, I'm not against that. But they think that's all that young people are, is just to be for use for entertainment. But the Bible says here that they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. In other words, they were designed to be sent like arrows into the most dangerous places of the earth. They weren't designed to sit up, pay up, and shut up. And that's why they're not attracted to safe churches. They're attracted to dangerous churches. And if there's no dangerous churches, the devil will provide some kind of movement for them to be a part of and snuff out their lives in the process. We must send them and we must engage them. They must be challenged. I love this theme, I will go. Did you notice, and I, and I don't think this was intentional at all, but you'll notice that right in the center is an arrow. This is the Seventh-day Adventist Church, the next five years, this is our logo for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And notice youth ministry at the very center, that arrow right there. Amen, amen. Excellent, you guys are following me really well. Notice our arrows, we have adventures. By the way, I saw some adventurers here. Look at these beautiful adventurers right here. Raise your hand, guys. These are our arrows. Amen. And we all have, we have adventurers who are arrows. We have pathfinders who are arrows. We have ambassadors who are arrows. These are the 16 to 21 year olds. We have senior youth society. That's 18 to 29 and 30. We have PCM and that's, uh, that's 30, uh, early 20s and 30s and sometimes in the 18s, 18 to 29 and, and, and beyond. But here we have all these young people right here. These are God's arrows. God wants to, us to send them with hope and encouragement and warning into the world. And they were designed to do it. It's pretty exciting. Next slide. We just talked about Global Youth Day is happening very soon. You know, March 20, Global Youth Day is happening around the world. And young people are being the sermon on Sabbath. They're going out and ministering in the name of Jesus in their local communities. It's very exciting. We also have something called the 100K Project right now where young people are holding evangelistic meetings online. Can you say amen? We're realizing now that the last frontier is digital Babylon. We must send young people on the, into the digital frontier with the message of Jesus. Young people are holding small groups online, amen. They're holding evangelistic meetings on YouTube all around the world. And some of them are holding evangelistic meetings in their homes and in their dorm rooms all around the world. But we need to send them. We need to recognize who these young people are and stop playing marbles with diamonds. They weren't designed to sit up and pay up and shut up. A lot of people, why are we losing so many young people? Because all you expect of them is to sit up, pay up, and shut up. That's all you're asking. And they fall asleep and fall out. We must talk less, love more, and what? Help send. Help send. Amen. 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 Okay. Next slide. You know, um, I want to wrap this up here, but I, I want you to notice that, did you know in the church manual, there can be up to six positions for youth leaders in a local church board? Did you know that? I mean, it's like our church was, at the very beginning, had a plan to make sure that we're involving young people, so we actually provided six potential positions on a church board for youth leaders, and many of them hopefully will be young. 
Look at this. We have Adventure Club Director, Pathfinder Club Director, Ambassador Club Director, Public Campus Ministry Director, Young Adult Leader, Children's Ministry Leader. These are all official positions on the church board. Can you imagine what would happen if every single church around the world made sure that we had leaders for these positions? Imagine the impact. Our church, if there was ever a church that is a heart for young people, it's the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Can you say amen? built into the very structure of our church. All right, let's go to the next slide here. There was never a time, there's never been a time, I believe, my friends, when the world did not need Seventh-day Adventist young people more than now. In fact, Ellen White back in 1910 said, there has never been a time when the world needs Adventists more than it needs us now. Now, if she said that back in 1910, imagine what she's saying now in 2020. Wow, what she would say now. This world desperately needs. Okay, next slide. You know, we are, we are dealing with crises all around the world, and, we, and the young people are the most poised to reach these situations. We have depression around the world. Right now, they're estimating that 25% of young people between the ages of 17 and 24 have seriously considered suicide in the last 30 days. Our young people need to be equipped to be able to be sent to encourage their young friends in the world, to know that you don't have to social distance from Jesus. Amen? To know that there's hope in Christ, there's strength in Christ, there's power in Christ. We need to send our young people to also be able to help their young friends get the, the help that they need, the medical attention they need in, in, in the world today. We need to be able to send them. They need to go. We also know we're dealing with a coronavirus. We have young people, and the Seventh-day Adventist Church has been given the health message. Can you say health message? We've been given a message to build immune system and strengthen the human body, and we have this message. Our young people need to be prepared and sent with this message. The world needs this message more than ever. ever. We also have a world right now that's crying out for justice, right? Am I right? They're crying out for justice. They're looking around the world and they're seeing violence and all kinds of things and division happening around the world between all different types of political factions. Right now, do you know the world has got us divided on our color? Got us divided on our politics? Got us divided on our gender? The devil is dividing everybody in the last days because he's ready, because he knows if you divide them, you can defeat them. But not Seventh-day Adventist young people, because we know that our message is to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And we have an army of young people sent out to bring unity and not division in these last days. Look at this next slide right here. I want you to see this. There is coming a day when Jesus is going to bring justice upon the earth. You know, if there was ever a time to be preaching the first angel's message, it's now. The promise that his judgment is come. There will come a time very soon when God will take all the things that have been hidden under the carpet and he will bring them out and he will deal with those things. Amen? This is a promise in the word of God. This is the judgment is come. But notice it's not our judgment. You know, I've noticed today that many people want to judge each other and their motives based on whatever, your politics. As soon as you say who you are politically, they quickly judge you. As soon as, you, as they see your skin color, they immediately judge you. But notice what the Bible says in the last days. It'll be his judgment, not your judgment. His judgment is come. Amen? Those details are not an accident. God is trying to tell us, you know what, I'm going to deal with these things. Don't worry. Let your friends know that judgment is coming. Nobody's getting away with anything. I will deal with it on that day. But remember, you don't get to judge people's motives. You don't get to judge their motives behind them. I'll do that, and I'll do it justly. Amen? What a, what a privilege it is for us to be a part of that movement, to take that message to the world. But I want to say that this judgment message should also concern us a bit 
Because every single one of us here today will have to stand before the all-searching eye of God on Judgment Day. Every single one of us. And so be, be very careful how you judge others because what the measure you use on others will be measured back on you. Am, am I right about that? Judgment Day is coming. But I want to tell you something really beautiful. Do you remember when um, Moses set up the serpent in the wilderness? Remember the Israelites had, had really cursed God because of the manna? They were calling God's manna worthless bread. Doesn't that sound like the world today? Who's the manna? Jesus. People treating Jesus like he's worthless bread. I don't care what Netflix movie you're watching. Every one of them tries to find a chance to degrade Jesus or, de uh, or make us mock him and his followers. Every single movie. I don't care. It's an attack. They're trying to turn Jesus into worthless bread. But you remember what happened? All those snakes came into the camp and began biting people. By the way, those snakes were always there. Satan is always waiting in the wings. But God had protected his people all along. And finally, when they said, you are worthless, we don't want anything to do with you, all of a sudden, terrible things began to happen in the camp. But God is full of mercy, isn't he? When the people cried out to God and confessed their sin, Lord, we've sinned. We've treated your Savior like worthless bread. They turned to the Lord. God told Moses to set up a pole, and on that pole to put a bronze serpent. Do you know in the Old Testament, bronze is symbolic of judgment? What is the Bible telling us is that the judgment that was falling upon you because of your sins and you deserved that judgment because of treating his son like worthless bread, guess what? Instead of falling on you, it'll now fall on my son in your place. Come on now. We are facing the judgment day and our attention needs to be on Jesus. If there was a theme song for the World Seventh-day Adventist Church today, it should be turn your eyes upon Jesus. Right now, that's the message. Turn your eyes upon Jesus on Calvary's hill. He took your judgment there, amen? For us on Calvary's hill. I love the story of uh, the couple that was walking outside one day and um, they found themselves immediately caught in an incredible hailstorm. And they were getting pummeled with these large, large uh, balls of ice. And uh, the wife was knocked to the ground, the husband was knocked to the ground, the husband looked and he saw his wife in this situation and he ran over to her and threw his body over the top of her. And the, these giant rocks, you might say, came falling down from the sky and pummeling his body. It's a true story. It was so bad that blood started coming out of his ears and he was being mangled and disfigured. His body was just being absorbing these giant ice balls that were flying from, from the sky. And he was bloodied and battered when it finally stopped, but she was safe <laughs> underneath him. When he was in the hospital, people were asking, what do you think about your husband? He's pretty mangled here. What do you think about all this? And he, she said, what you probably might suspect, she said, he's never looked better because <laughs> of what he did for me. Amen? And there's not a single one of us here today. I know Pastor Mike would say this. There's not a single one of us when we get to heaven and we see the scars in Jesus' hands, we'll be like, oh, that's gross. Nah. We'll know those scars in his hands and on his forehead and his side, these scars that he has on his body, were scars that he took as he took judgment for us on Calvary's cross. Amen? Yes, judgment is coming. But thanks God, because of Jesus, that judgment fell on him and not on you. Amen? This is why we must go, young people. God has told us as a church to talk less, to love more, and help send the younger generation now like never before. This generation is the one that can reach this generation. Amen? With the incredible message that we've been given as Seventh-day Adventists. So again, I want to thank you for the chance to speak to you today, and let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, around the world and on social media right now, and also here in this uh, beautiful church, we thank you for the wonderful reminder that you've given us, Lord, that we cannot 
get so caught up in business as usual that we forget the younger generation, some which have fallen out and some that are ready to. And Lord, we must get serious about talking less, loving more, and helping to send this younger generation into the world with the incredible message you've given us, that three angels message that Pastor Mike preaches every time he's up here on this podium. We want to thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us on the cross. You, we look to you, our eyes are turned on you, who suffered and died on Calvary, the bronze serpent, who took the judgment, the righteous judgment against sin upon himself so it didn't fall on us. Wow, that changes everything. We love you, Jesus. We thank you that we are truly fortunate. Amen. Brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a Midi clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.